Well, hello again. Thank you for joining us here. Let's pray as we prepare to open God's word again. Father in heaven, we thank you for so loving the world that you gave your son as the atoning, sacrificial, substitutionary uh, sacrifice on the cross. Lord, we thank you for Good Friday. We thank you for Jesus and for his willingness to go to Calvary and for all the saving benefits that that has brought into being for us. We praise you for that. And now, Lord, as we open your word and as we look at the cross from just one angle, I pray that you would draw near to us with a rich presence, that you would bless this time, and that you would remind us of your glory and your greatness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this Western culture of ours, there seems to be a priority placed on scheduling, a premium set on, on uh, setting times for all sorts of things, a variety of things. We have an alarm to wake up in the morning. We set another alarm perhaps to uh, schedule a meeting or to eat at lunchtime. Oh yeah, I have to have my uh, soup at lunch whatever it is. And we have so many options, don't we, for keeping track of the appointments that we've scheduled. Many people use their phones, of course. Uh, they set those alarms on their phones. Some have other apps that they use. Um, I'm more old school. I have this giant paper day timer that I use. I find that to be uh, the most convenient thing to do. Sometimes if we forget to put an appointment in our day timer or in our phone, we make the mistake of double booking. We forget that we'd scheduled something over here at one time, um, and then we schedule something else that overlaps with that time, and we can run into trouble because, of course, we can't have two things happening at the same time. I know that I've done that on occasion. Well, as we begin this Good Friday sermon, what I want us to understand is this. First of all, that God works on a schedule. And second, that God has the ability to double book things. To double book things knowingly and then have no trouble whatsoever doing two things at once, keeping both appointments at the very same time. What do I mean? Well, I want us first to look at a couple of verses in Luke chapter 22. In Luke 22, it's Passover time and something entirely frightening takes place. Happens in Luke 22 verse 3. That verse tells us that Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot. The entrance of Satan into Judas happens shortly before Judas betrays Jesus. <clears throat> and the deed of betrayal happens where? It happens in a garden. Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss in the Garden of Gethsemane. So get this, 
Satan entered into Judas, and then Satan, who's controlling Judas, comes into the garden with malicious intent against the last Adam, who is Jesus. Just as Satan had entered into the first garden with malicious intent against the first Adam in Genesis chapter 3. But the difference between Adam in the Garden of Eden and Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is that Adam listened to Satan, Adam disobeyed God, Adam went outside God's will. Where Jesus, the last Adam, obeys the Father perfectly in his garden, as he says, not my will, but yours father but i want us to go to verse 53 of this same chapter of luke 22 and notice now the ending of that verse jesus says to those gathered there those who are arresting him he says this is your hour and the power of darkness First of all, the power of darkness that Jesus refers to here that was palpable in this moment of his betrayal and his arrest, this was a power that was no doubt emanating, most especially it was emanating from Judas, since Satan, the prince of darkness, had entered into Judas. In that moment, in the Garden of Gethsemane, there was an especially dark, um, heavy, evil. The atmosphere was just thick with evil because Satan was there working through Judas. Secondly, notice carefully, Jesus says to this mob, to this crowd, this is your hour. What does Jesus mean by hour here? Is he talking about a literal 60-minute time period, the hour that you and I know? Or is Jesus using this word hour in a different way, in a more figurative way, perhaps? Well, the best way to understand Jesus' use of this word hour here is to understand it like this. The hour that Jesus makes reference to here is a period of time, a period of time scheduled by the Father in which an action or actions are divinely preordained to take place. One more time, just so we get this. The hour that Jesus makes reference to here is a period of time scheduled by the Father in which an action or actions are divinely preordained to take place. God has a clock. He has set a clock for things to happen in his world. God orders events and God sets the timing of those events. God has a schedule. God sets up a chronology, 
And here, Satan and Judas and the arrest party were acting right on schedule, right on the schedule that God had set. This is your hour and the power of darkness. This was an hour in which God in his sovereignty had granted freedom to Satan to do his worst. And Satan was doing that. Jesus would end up dead, in fact, as we know, which had been Satan's goal. But now here's the thing, friends. God double-booked himself. Uh-oh. God had scheduled this hour for Satan to have his wicked freedom. But in the very same period that Satan was given this freedom, simultaneous with it, God had also booked something else. Now again, for us, to double book ourselves is a problem, right? I can't be at my daughter's voice recital and be at a squash game at the same time. It's just not possible. But for God to double book, it's always a purposeful thing. He knows precisely what he's doing all along, and it is glorious. I want you to watch this. Er early in the, in the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, he began talking about his hour, Jesus' own hour. Jesus knew that there would come a period in his life, an hour, when he would be undertaking a specific action that had been preordained by his Father, by God. So even at the wedding of Cana, early in the earthly ministry of Jesus, Jesus had said to his mother Mary in John 2 verse 4, My hour, notice that, my hour has not yet come. That is, Jesus says there at Cana, there is a period in my life in which I will undertake a specific preordained action. But right now at this wedding in Cana, that period, that time that has been appointed by the Father has not yet come. Jesus began at the wedding of Cana talking about his hour. And then a little later, when the temple police uh, tried to arrest Jesus, in John 7.30 and again in John 8.20, they could not arrest him. And why? Well, because as both of those verses say, the hour of Jesus, the hour of Jesus had not yet come. You see... Nothing that was ordained by God to happen in Jesus' hour could happen outside of that hour. I'll say that again. Nothing that was ordained by God to happen in Jesus' hour could happen outside of that hour. The temple police could not arrest Jesus there in John 7 and in John 8 because at that point, the preordained hour had not yet come. Now the question is, of course, 
what was, what, what is the hour in the life of Jesus that, that had to arrive? What, what event, what action was it that, that God had preordained for Jesus that was to happen at a specifically arranged time period on God's calendar? And the answer is, the hour of Jesus was the hour of his death, his death on the cross. The hour of Jesus was the period when Jesus would be betrayed and arrested and flogged and mocked and crucified. Jesus' hour was the hour of his crucifixion. And listen, the hour, that hour, was overlaid, or it was, it was booked simultaneously with Satan's hour. God double-booked Satan's hour with Jesus' hour. And he did it on purpose, for his glory. In the very same hour, Satan would do his worst, and God would do his very best, and God would control the entire proceeding, and he would gr get great glory out of all, of all of it. Now, more on that in just a moment, but let's go first to a few other texts where we have Jesus talking about his hour, the hour of his crucifixion. We journeyed through John's account of Palm Sunday, this past Sunday, well, right after uh, John's Palm Sunday passage, right after Jesus coming into Jerusalem on the donkey, we have John 12, 23, where Jesus here is speaking less than a week before his crucifixion. And he says there, the what? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Less than a week before his crucifixion. And then in the verse right after that, in verse 24, Jesus talks about death, a grain of wheat falling into the earth and dying and bearing much fruit. His hour was his death, his atoning, fruitful death. And then down in verses 27 and 28 of that same 12th chapter of John, Jesus says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Again, he's talking here about his looming crucifixion. And then John 13:1 mentions that Jesus was aware that his hour had come, the hour when he would depart this world and go again to the Father. And then in John 17, 1, as Jesus begins his high priestly prayer, right in the time before his death, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Jesus' hour was the hour of his death on the cross. In eternity past, God had set this hour for the Son to be crucified to save sinners. He had set this hour for his Son to go and bear the weight 
of divine judgment on human sin. God had planned this and he had put it in his day timer. In fact, according to 1 Corinthians 15:3, Jesus died in accordance with the scriptures. That is, all along the Old Testament scriptures had prophesied the death of the Messiah. He died in accordance with the scriptures. The whole thing was on God's divine schedule. This whole hour had been preordained in detail and the timing of it had been set. And yet, simultaneously, organically, at the very same time as that divine hour for the Son of God, was the hour of Satan and wickedness. Also preordained and scheduled by God, when Satan and this mob of depraved human beings would make very sure that Jesus was murdered. We might say that the cross was the hour of Jesus served by the hour of wickedness and all in God's counsel. God ordained that the devil and evil people would bring their violent assault on Jesus, bringing Jesus to die on the cross, and God would work that same event of the cross in the same hour to bring God's mighty, great, and glorious salvation. Amen? Now, where all of this comes together in a special way, is in a verse like Acts chapter 2, verse 23. The Apostle Peter says there that Jesus was, listen to this very carefully, he was delivered up on the cross, delivered up according to what? According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. But, Peter says to his audience, you crucified and killed Jesus by the hands of lawless men. So notice very carefully the two things happening there. God's sovereign plan being executed in a flawless way as Jesus goes to the cross. But the crucifixion of Jesus happened by the hands of lawless men. Both things, both hours were happening. Human rage and satanic rage against Jesus was unleashed on Golgotha. And simultaneous with that was Jesus bearing the sin of the world in accordance with God's glorious plan of salvation. Further, the two hours that we've been talking about are also laid out very beautifully in Acts chapter 4 verses 27 and 28. Listen carefully to what the apostles pray here as they are praying to God. They say this, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed who was gathered there against him both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand, O God, and your plan 
had predestined to take place. Again, we have the two things happening there. Human conspiracy against Jesus to put him on the cross and God's controlling hand in the entire enterprise. As they nailed Jesus to the cross, those people in Jerusalem did whatever God's hand and God's plan had predestined to take place. Now, a further example of what we've been talking about. In the centuries prior to the coming, the first coming of Jesus, we remember that both the Assyrians and the Babylonians had done their worst against Israel uh, when both nations at different times had invaded the nation of Israel and taken the people captive. But what was happening there? Well, the same sort of thing happened there as happened at the cross. God had used both Babylon and Assyria as his instruments of judgment against Israel. God was doing through those nations what he had planned all along. And yet, and I want you to see this very carefully, this is a, a very important thing. And yet, those wicked people who invaded Israel were still held responsible for their wicked actions. Scripture is very clear on this. It holds up both ideas as true, even though uh, it may be a hard truth for some of us to reckon in our thinking. The truth is that God is sovereign. Everything works on his schedule. Everything runs according to his preordained clock. And yet, people are still held responsible for their wickedness. As concerns the cross of Jesus Christ, God's sovereign plan was being executed to the letter through the wicked actions of those who crucified Jesus. And yet, those people are still held responsible for their wickedness. It is their wickedness, after all. It came from their dark hearts, and they are responsible for it. Well, as we've looked at the cross on this Good Friday from this particular angle, my desire is that it sparks uh, a fresh hope in us. The truth is, listen, the truth is that all things work to the praise of God. Even Satan's dark actions on the cross, even the wicked actions uh, of the men who nailed Jesus there. Through that wickedness of Satan and those people, God worked the glorious salvation of sinners, a salvation that is found only in the cross of Jesus Christ. All things are brought to the praise of God. None of us can say why. COVID-19 is here at this time in history. But we know that even this pestilence 
does not wander outside of the sovereign plan of God. It too, COVID-19 too, will be brought to the praise of God, somehow, some way, in God's sovereign plan. But perhaps right now, in the present, God would like us to consider our own hour, the hour that you and I are living in right now. God says to his church in Romans 13, 11, the hour, listen, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Friend, you and I live in the last hour, in fact. It is no time for us to be slumbering. 1 John 2.18 tells us that it is the last hour. And you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. You and I live right now in the last hour. This is a time of opportunity to show love to our neighbor, to show love to God in a special way. And we can show love to our neighbor, especially right now uh, during this time of crisis in some very unique and creative ways. But it is also a time of urgency because it is, after all, the last hour. Even in this time of crisis, and perhaps even especially in this time of crisis, we need to be telling people about Jesus and the gospel. Evangelism needs to continue and needs to happen. Well, may God give us wisdom as we continue to follow our crucified and risen Lord in this last hour, rejoicing all the time that the hour of his cross was planned in eternity past for our salvation and for Satan's defeat. God bless you very richly on this Good Friday.